You're listening to East of the Rockies, the Michigan Student Softball Podcast on WCBN Sports. Well, Mr. Burns had done it. The power plant had won it. With Roger Clemens clucking all the while. Mike Sosha's tragic illness made us smile. While Wade Boggs lay unconscious on the barroom tile. We're talking softball. From Maine to San Diego, talking softball. Manningly and Canseco, Ken Griffey's grotesquely swollen jaw. Steve Sachs and his running with the law. We're talking Homer, Ozzy and the Straw. Hello and welcome to East of the Rockies for now season five now of east of the rockies uh it's been a long long break since the last episode almost a full calendar year uh i'm alex drain joined today by charlie brigham uh we are bringing you this fifth season of east of the rockies uh as the season rolls along we'll hopefully get more of uh familiar characters from the past in on different episodes when we can but uh this season premiere obviously is coming off a year in which uh, Michigan softball only played uh, a a few games and uh, I think 23 in total and uh, none of those were at alumni field so among our uh, staff of softball people we were really the only two that got to see any of their games Uh, so we are bringing you the premiere uh, from our knowledge of what we saw last year and as the season rolls along and the team gets back into the Midwest we'll be able to bring Uh, more voices on board but it's been a long long layoff and Charlie it really feels like almost 40 years ago that we were covering the team out in California in early March of last year at at this point at least for me I mean yeah absolutely like we ended up whatever the season uh the last game I called I think the last game yet last game we played was March 6th that was out in Los Angeles and then less than two weeks later, the entire country shut down and every, all the sports are done. It was just wild at the end of the season. It was so strange. Yeah, it was quite the turnaround there. And Michigan was supposed to return to play ball state. They never got to that point. It was the one week in between the sixth and the 14th that everything uh, became shut down. So that was a long time ago, but we'll start this episode by just walking through a quick refresh down memory lane. Some Michigan softball fans may not even remember what some of the games were, uh, you know, that, that were played uh, back last year. Obviously, a lot of fans didn't get to see any of them in person. But uh, the season began down in Tampa, a series, uh, a weekend that we covered um, with a really the most impressive game was supposed to be the best game against Florida. That was Michigan's best game of that weekend, an 11 to 2 run rule victory. And then they had a lot of tight games, a five to four win against Illinois State, and then a pair of extra inning games, a dramatic win against USF, and then a one nothing win, also dramatic on Sunday morning against Fresno State in nine innings. Um, But we were really excited coming out of that first weekend. It was the first time Michigan had beaten Florida in a few years. Uh, So, you know, that definitely set the year off well. Um, Then came the uh, Chapel Hill weekend, which our old friend Morris Fabry did, uh, watched a couple games. He did go to a a few games there. 
uh, but we didn't have a crew. Uh, but Michigan did sweep uh, four games with Louisville and North Carolina. Uh, some were close. The Sunday game was an eight to four, pretty dramatic win. Uh, but they you know, emerged from the first two weekends with a nine and zero record and things were going really well. And then the next stretch, those next three weekends, they basically played about 500 with some easier teams and also some tougher teams that it was kind of up and down. Uh, South Carolina came next. That was the only weekend we had no real connection to a one, nothing win over Liberty and then three losses in a row that were kind of unexpected with Iowa state, South Carolina and, and Liberty again, um, and that kind of dampened the mood a bit when we then went out to Fullerton uh, for the Judy Garman Classic. And Michigan played some competitive games. That was one nothing loss against Texas, um, a one nothing win against Colorado State, a two to one really disappointing loss to Loyola Marymount. They did beat a ranked Texas Tech team pretty impressively, eight to two, but then really got knocked around by Washington, uh, ten to two in a run rule game, um, and then they won. A four to two game in the week in between the two California series against St. John's. And then the last weekend they played was the one you were doing in Los Angeles, a five to one win over Cal state Fullerton, two to one win over Boston. U. a very tight game against UCLA, a two, nothing loss. And then a frustrating extra innings loss to UCF. And they were prepared to head back to Michigan with a 15 and eight record overall, pretty solid showing in the early going. There were some highlights. There were some low lights, uh, what any memories you have from, from that sort of stretch of, of the, the season last year? That final, those final four games were really fun. I was obviously Alex, you were back um, in Michigan covering Michigan hockey. I was out there um, with Zach Corson, but those games were really fun to watch. Obviously that CSU Fullerton game, that, that was just a fun one. Like, you know, we kind of beat up on them five one, but the most fun game of that entire weekend to me was that loss to UCLA. It was, we lost two nothing, but there were only eight hits in that entire game. It was an absolute battle. Um, Megan Bobby and Alex Duraco and Megan Faramo of UCLA were just going at each other. I think coming at like when the season ended, I think Faramo was either number one or number two in the country in strikeouts. And Alex Duraco was two or three, like they were right behind each other and they just battled. It was a great game. Both uh, both teams just played crazy good defense. Like balls were getting hit in the gaps and people were laying out. Like the whole stadium was electric. It was awesome. Yeah, and and Michigan, I mean, that was kind of the storyline is, is when they won their games, they were able to hit well. And that was when they, they beat uh, Florida and Texas Tech, putting up, um, you know, 11 against Florida and eight against Texas Tech. When they lost games, it was because they really struggled to string runs together, being shut out by South Carolina, shut out by Texas and then shut out in that game by UCLA. And so uh, that kind of colors some of the storylines headed in uh, to this year. And we'll now move into talking about the roster. Now, uh, looking at the roster, it is difficult uh, simply because a lot has changed. And the reality is that, you know, for me, I mean, we just talked through that little stretch. That was 23 games. Normally that's about a third of a season. And so you know, and basically the, the almost two years, we played 23 total games of softball. And that's all we have uh, as analysts to go off of in looking at this roster. And so when I look at, at this roster and, and when we move into talking about the schedule in the Big Ten, so much of what we're talking about is what they did two years ago. And that 
is, is really difficult to sort of extrapolate into what we could expect on the field. And for Michigan itself, a lot of the hitters um, are either freshmen who have never played or sophomores who didn't play much at all last year. So uh, there's a lot of unknowns with this roster. Uh, we'll start, I guess, with something that's more well-known, which is the pitching staff. And that's where there is a little bit more that we can say we know quite a bit about uh, with Bobian uh, and Alex Duraco now in their upperclassmen seasons, Bobian now a senior. Of course, all of these players can come back for another year uh, if they want to do so. And if the coach, Carol Hutchins, wants them to come back, that's their choice. Uh, but with the COVID redshirt of last year, uh, Bobian is a senior, but in theory would have another year. Um, but we'll start with, with Megan Bobian. You look at the three years she's been at Michigan, uh, 1.52 ERA, 1.87 ERA, 1.16 ERA, whips under one every time. Never been high in strikeouts, uh, but has always been just an effective out getter. And, you know, now as she gets older, we always kind of wondered, would she take a jump? She hasn't at this point. She's just been very, very, very good from, from day one. Uh, I'm interested to see whether there, she can make a jump to that sort of like, you know, 1.0 ERA category where you're among the best of the best. Uh, but even if she isn't, she's a bona fide ace at the college softball level. And I'm excited to what she can see what she can do as a senior. Um, I don't know what you have uh, to say about uh, your viewings of her in, in last year in particular. Yeah, I mean, coming into last year, like she was, she was, the, she was the number one. You know, like everybody was just expecting her to come out and deal all the time. And when she did, or when she was on, she played super, super well. You know, she's dominant when she's on, and even when those days where she's off, uh, we have Alex Duraco who looked, you know, just as good, if not better, at times than Bobian did last year. And I think those two just really complement each other. It kind of takes a little bit of the load off. Megan Bobian, she doesn't have to do it all herself. And that kind of strengthens her game. Yeah. And, and Storaco brings a different side of the game to, to the circle. And, you know, we talk about Bobian, you know, when can she make a, a jump? Uh, well, Storaco in her ERA, there wasn't much of a jump last year, but again, it was a truncated season. What did make a jump was she was striking out a lot more hitters than she had previously. And she was already the more strikeout heavy of the two Michigan uh, pitchers. But last year, she went up to over 13 uh, strikeouts per seven innings. Um, and as you mentioned, was among the NCAA leaders in strikeouts. I mean, some of those games were just shocking how many strikeouts she was putting up. However, her ERA was over two, which, you know, in softball terms is a little high for an ace. And part of that has always been her struggles with limiting hard contact and control at times. She gives up a lot of home runs, especially relative to Bobian and sometimes puts a few too many runners on base through the walk. Uh, and so for her, it will be how much of that strikeout mojo can she carry forward and how much can she combine, uh, you know, with cutting down the walks um, and, and the hard contact, which you've got to think is something Jen Brundage has talked to her about and they've worked on and worked on and worked on. They've had plenty of time to practice, but, you know, as you said, those two, uh, you know, at least in the big 10 are among the best tandem in the conference, maybe the best depending on, uh, who you talk to, but, you know, can, can they uh, really take their game each to a new level? That's something I'm excited to watch. And then uh, Chandler Dennis is the other name to talk about. We were interested in her last year. She came in as a top 30 pitching uh, top 30 prospect, in the entire country in her recruiting class, one of the top pitching recruits in the entire country. 
Um, but when we went to media day early on last year, it was pretty clear from Carol Hutchins that she was not ready. And, and Hutch said as much. She pitched a little bit. I don't remember if she pitched any of the games you did. I don't think she did any of the ones I did. But she did throw seven innings in the tw- in the 23 games, so very little. But it didn't go terribly well for her, which was, again, in line with what we were told and what she was working on. But, you know, altogether, she's a very talented recruit coming out of high school. And now she's got a full year uh, under her belt working with Michigan's coaching staff. And I think this is when we could really see her uh, start to to break through uh, for the Wolverines. Yeah, we together we saw her pitch one inning. It was just a complete throwaway in that um washington game oh where we that were, is right yeah like uh i just I have the stats up from that game she pitched one inning let up five hits and four runs yeah it was just and, kind and washington of is one of the best teams in the country so it was yeah at the time they were ranked number two in the country yeah. they're finished with an 18 and two record like they have some of the most recognizable names and best players in all of softball yeah. at the time and it was it's tough for anybody i mean like you look at alex Toraco, she let up five hits and six runs like she was our ace or one of, and she got batted around and, you know, you throw a freshman out there and say, okay, go out there and throw to Sam or Sammy Reynolds and throw to Sis Bates and yeah. have fun pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So she, she was dealt a tough hand and I, you know, I think she was probably hurt by the fact they didn't get to come back to Michigan and play some of the, you know, the ball state type games, which would have been a better opportunity to work her in. But, you know, for Michigan, The reality is, as we get into the scheduling part, especially these first two weekends in Florida, they're playing double headers almost every day for three straight days. I mean, six and seven, eight games in a three or four day span. You know, softball pitchers can pitch a lot more than baseball pitchers. We know that. But there will still be the chance of tired arms between these heavily, heavily loaded schedules in the early going. And so if Michigan can get a third pitcher that they really trust, in the same level as Bobby and Estoraco and Dennis's talent level, giving her recruiting profile suggests that she could do that. Uh, we just haven't seen it yet. And so there's a lot of reason for optimism from her. Uh, also in the pitching uh, category, there's Sarah Schaefer, who is still on the roster. We haven't seen her in two years now because uh, we were told at the beginning of last season, she had suffered an injury in practice and she was supposed to pitch later in the year. But of course that never happened. Um, in Schaefer's two years prior to that, she was kind of the third arm behind Bobian and Storaco uh, in 19 and Bobian and Tara Blanco in 18. Uh, Schaefer never really emerged as a consistent option, but, you know, I think the fact she's still in the program speaks to something that Carol Hutchins and Jen Brundage have seen from her that we have not seen uh, in game action at this point. Um, and then Lauren Essman is also a two-way player. She did actually throw two innings last year. Uh, we'll talk more about her in a moment when we get to the hitters. But overall, there's a lot of names here. I mean, five pitchers is more than you normally see in a college softball roster. Um, and, you know, I think the questions really are is how much better Bobian and Stronko can get, and can they get a third arm? You know, we think it'll be Dennis, but maybe it could be Schaefer. I mean, you, you never know in a senior season. Uh, so those are my two questions. Do you have any other thoughts on, on the pitching staff at this moment? Not particularly, uh, like you said, that's going to be a lot of double headers. I mean, just looking at it, the schedule that first week or that first Friday, they play a double header against Purdue two days later, or sorry, the next day they play a double header against Iowa. The next day they play a double header against Illinois. Like 
they have a super loaded schedule right at the start. And obviously you can't expect Bo Bienis to Rocco to go the distance in all those games, but I'm just wondering if, you know, early in the season, we're going to be able to see uh, people like Chandler Dennis and Schaefer and maybe even Lauren Esman, if, you know, the haters are playing well and Bo Bean could get them through, you know, four or five and those guys can kind of come in and close it out. Uh, and I think that's a lot of the pressure off of them. Like you don't have to go out and start against, you know, a very good, well-rested team. Yeah. And I think that's a good point. I mean, you definitely would want to work Dennis and Schaefer in, in a, in a, you know, six to one game in the sixth or seventh inning, then to give them a start early on. Um, and I guess another thing that is worth noting um, it just in this discussion is that Michigan's schedule is decently advantageous in the fact that, you know, we anticipate as we get in later into the show uh, that probably Northwestern and Minnesota will be the biggest competitors, of the big 10 crown and Michigan won't see them uh, until late April and then may uh, for Minnesota. So they'll have time to figure out who their arms are. And, and again, it was also worth noting that when they get back to the Midwest, every opponent they're playing is a four game series over three days, normally with the double header on Saturday. So, I mean, this is a really compressed schedule with a lot of games packed together, not to mention, um, you know, when there may be reschedulings and that kind of thing as that goes along. So a lot to talk about with the pitching staff. And, uh, but I do think that is still the strength of the team. When you have Bobian and Starocco, they carried Michigan through the early half of last year that actually got played. And I don't see any reason why they won't, you know, be a rock again. Bobian has been nothing but consistent over her Michigan career. And, and Starocco has been very good uh, in her time uh, through the ups and the downs. So, that's the strength of the team. And it's also the part of the team that we know the most about the hitters. We know a lot less about. Um, I think there are probably, you could say five or six players. We know quite a bit about that. We expect to be everyday players. So the first one in that is Lexi Blair. Um, Lexi as a freshman hit 406 was the first Michigan freshman in over 20 years to hit 400. Um, you know, was the star of that 2019 team that won the regular season and the conference tournament title, um, had the walk-off homer against Illinois that year. I mean, just everything you could talk about as, as Lexi is a star. And then last year, it was kind of odd. She started the season very cold, was hitting below 200 for a while. But at the end of, this, of the 23 games they played, she was sitting at 307. And she was really heating up in the California portion of the schedule. Um, I mean, you got to see those games up close. It looked like she was finding her rhythm and I don't have any concerns about her going into her junior season. She should be the best hitter on the Michigan team most likely. And if someone is better, that's probably a good sign, not a bad sign. If I'm being honest, she was the best hitter on that Michigan team last year, even yeah. through that opening week when she didn't play well. I, I mean, I said it a couple times while or on our broadcast when we were down there, both her and Julia Jimenez, neither of them hit like particularly well for average through that first weekend, but every single ball they hit was hit with just crazy velocity behind it. They hit it really well. They just couldn't find gaps. They were just hitting the right two people. It's not like, you know, she went out that opening weekend and struck out 17 times. Like yeah. she was going 0 for 4, but with four balls back to the warning track. Yeah. And, and once the season was getting going, she was starting to heat up. I think she probably would have finished in the 350 to 360 range, at least once the season ended, especially because big 10 competition was going to be easier than what they were seeing in those loaded uh, early season weekends. 
So we expect Lexi Blair to be an everyday player and a stalwart of the lineup, probably hitting in the two or three hole, roughly, maybe lead off, but probably not. Um, but at the upper top of the lineup, it's not going to hit for a ton of power, but she's going to get on base a ton. She can run. Uh, we, you know, Michigan fans know a lot about Lexi and, and they know that she is going to be a great player for Michigan this year, uh, somewhere in the outfield. Also in the outfield and back for a fifth season now with the Michigan Wolverines will be Haley Hoganrod. Um, Carol Hutchins chose to bring two fifth year seniors back. It wasn't a very big senior class last year. Um, so it wasn't a lot of names she could have, but the two she chose to retain or, you know, mutually retained were Haley and Thais Gonzalez. We'll talk about Thais in a moment, but Hoganrod's been a starter for, for, you know, two and a half years, uh, counting last season as a half year. Um, and, you know, she's been a mainstay in Michigan's lineup, always good defensively, a, a touch of power, never a big slugger, but can definitely hit a few home runs and, and get the gap. Um, you know, a veteran leader, again, strong uh, with the glove and, and uh, the arm, and is just someone that you can tell Hutch really likes having in the lineup. She hit close to 300 as a sophomore, was more in the 250 range the last couple seasons. I'm interested to see, you know, what she can do in her now fifth year in the program. But if nothing else, she brings consistency to the lineup and veteran leadership. And I think that's something to look for with Haley this year. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. She's just a rock in this Michigan lineup. You know, every time she gets up, she's, like you said, she's not going to hit for power. She had one home run last year, and it was in, I think it was that last weekend. I forget which team it was. Uh, it was when they were playing at UCLA, but it was like an opposite field, just kind of way up in the sky, barely barely got over the uh, outfield fence. But, you know, she hit for six doubles. She's just, she's a consistent hitter, finds gaps, and like you said, She's got a little bit of speed. She can leg it out and in the outfield. She's, she's a rock. Like I said about her in the lineup, nothing that goes near her is going to drop. Yeah. So Hogan rod and, and Blair will, will man the outfield. There was, there's another spot that we'll get to who could fill that. Obviously one name, as we mentioned is Thais Gonzalez. I'm not super optimistic that she will be the starter at that position simply because She's been now in her fifth season. She's never been able to be a consistent starter, but that doesn't mean even if she isn't that she won't have a role on the team. She's always been a good uh, pinch runner uh, to, to move you up on the bases, steal bases, potentially bunt in certain situations, a defensive replacement, um, you know, a, a good outfield utility player, I think is the best way to profile Thais at this point in her career. And I wouldn't be shocked to see her start this weekend. That's been a theme in her career is that Hutch really likes her. She's a good placeholder, which is an unfair thing to say, but several times now in her career, she started the year in the outfield and then someone ends up taking that spot. Um, she knows her role. And if she's called upon to be a starter, she'll do her best. Uh, and if, you know, someone uh, ends up taking that job, which I think is probably more likely, uh, she's a, a good player to have off the bench. And again, as someone who's been around, who's, who's a veteran and a, and a good team player. And I think that speaks to why she's back in, as, as a fifth year player. Yeah, if I remember correctly, she started that opening weekend at the UCF Rawlings, didn't she? She yes. started in right field, and she did. Yep, that might was... have batted leadoff once or twice, if I, I remember think she correctly. Did, yeah, there, that's at least twice in my time that she yep. started in the USF series. Um, so it wouldn't shock me if she did that again this weekend. But yeah, um, yeah, I mean, she's she's a fine player, and you know, again, another thing to keep in mind is that when a player comes back for a fifth year, that's a mutual decision between the coach mm -hmm. and the player. And, and so it does speak to the fact there will be a role for her on this team somewhere. Um, 
But the other players to talk about, I think we'll go to the infield now. Um, and you have the double play combo at shortstop and second base. I think that's pretty locked in. Natalia Rodriguez is now going into her fourth year as a starter. She's been basically the same player all four or three years up to this point. Um, she's a very steady glove, uh, fine defensively. And, you know, she's a slap hitter and will bunt quite a bit, ends up sacrificing a lot. When she gets on, she can steal um, almost no power. It took her, I think, over a year to get her first extra base hit as a Wolverine. Uh, has, I think, one career home run to her name. But she knows her role. She's been doing it for three years now, and I don't see any reason why that will be different uh, here in 2021. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. She's a solid, solid infielder. And like you said, slap hitter. She's got crazy wheels. She's going to fly around the bases. Really looking forward to watching her this season. And then uh, at second base is Julia Menez, who started there pretty much every game last year. Um, you know, when a player comes in and starts right away as a freshman, that's generally a good sign, uh, for what the coach thinks about them and their ability to stick there for the rest of their career. And I think she was on the Lexi Blair trajectory. She wasn't going to hit 400 like Lexi did as a freshman, but she, I think she was going to be well over 300 once the big 10 season got going. Um, you know, just was kind of the spark plug in some of those games where Michigan was struggling offensively. You know, she would be the one that would notch a double or a single and get on and try to get the team fired up. I mean, I know you were a huge fan of her game in the early going, and we only got to see 23 games of her. But I think for at least for me, that was enough uh, for me to know that she will she will be a player. And I think is a breakout candidate here in, here in the new season. Spark plug's a great word. She just plays. Uh, I mean, Hutch mentioned it during media day when we came back from Tampa last year. She just plays with a swagger and just walks around like she's kind of got that attitude to herself. Like, yeah, I'm the best player on the field. And for a while, she played like it. Like in the infield, she was super solid. And, and at the plate, I mean, 20 hits through 23 games, and eight of those hits were one of them was a home run, and seven of them were doubles. Yep. Like you said, spark plug, just big play mentality. She's able to get a run going. She's able to keep a run going. She's just a really fun player to watch. And yeah, one of my favorite players on this squad. Yeah, definitely. And so Jimenez and, and Rodriguez, you know, will man the middle there uh, for Michigan. And then um, the other names that I think are going to be in the lineup, for sure you have Hannah Carson behind the plate. I feel very confident that she will be the starter at catcher. She started, I think, every game at catcher last year, um, filled in at that spot for Katie Alexander back in 2019, ended up having to come in during the tournament uh, when Katie had an injury. And then, you know, Hannah Carson uh, was a 296 hitter as a freshman, 284 in the abbreviated part of last season, and probably was going to up that average as everyone does once you get into the Big Ten. Um, she had seven extra base hits as a freshman, only had two last year, but we know she has power and the ability to put it in the gaps. Um, her defense is coming along behind the plate and, um, you know, she has a big responsibility in handling this pitching staff. And, and as we get into the freshman, she's going to have some competition behind the plate with some of the freshmen they brought in as catchers. But I feel very confident that she will be the starter um, at that catcher position. She was preordained as that as the successor to Katie Alexander. And she looked to be very much on track to be filling that role uh, when we got to see her uh, last season. Yeah. And she, uh, you know, she had mentioned that bond that she had formed with Megan Bobby and how Bobby kind of like brought her under her wing after Alexander left. So obviously between or to be successful 
in either baseball or softball, it doesn't matter which one, um, a huge, huge part of that is a great bond between a pitcher and a catcher. And uh, with aces like Starocko and Bobian, it's good to have somebody you trust behind the plate. I think it's going to be a little difficult for these newcomers, as talented as they might be, um, to bump Carson out of that spot. Because, I mean, last year she showed no reason why that spot shouldn't be hers coming into this year. Plus that year, you know, already added trust and that just kind of uh, accountability factor that she's got. Yeah, for sure. And then finally, you have Lou Allen, who I think was was finally putting it together last year. When you look at her her stat line from last season, she was only hitting 239, but she was getting on at over 400, and she was slugging over 700. So her OPS was well over 1,100. Um, and, you know, seven of her 16 hits were extra base hits. Michigan fans that are diehards know the story with Lou. She was a five-star caliber prospect coming out of high school, had two – basically two full years wiped out from injuries where she was playing a few games, but just couldn't move at all. Like they wanted, um, especially that second year, the injury was, was really devastating after, you know, what she had gone through the first year. But I think last year she was finally starting into the rounding rounding into the player. We always thought she could be. And I, you know, I don't know, we haven't been to media day yet. That's actually going to be tomorrow. Um, so we had to record this before that, but Fingers crossed she's ready to go. She went through a healthy offseason last year, and I'm hoping she did that again this year because there's so much talent. She sees the play, the, the plate so well, such good discipline and ability to draw walks. That's how you end up with an OBP that high compared to your batting average. She can hit for contact, but she's got a lot of power. This is a lineup that needs power, and I don't know where she'll play, uh, whether it's DP or first base, but as long as she's healthy, she's going to be in the lineup, but I'm pretty convinced of that. Yeah, absolutely. She is, you know, the one spot I look at this lineup this year where I look at it and say, that's where the power is going to come from. She had two home runs last year. And like you said, her mobility isn't great, you know, just due to that injury. But even with that, she notched five doubles. So, you know, she's going to find gaps and you know, she can hit for power to be able to leg out extra base hits, um, you know, with that injury in her back pocket. It's, it's impressive to watch. And she's just, She's so fun. She's lively on the field. You know, everybody loves her. She's just a huge, huge part of this Michigan team. And so then you have, so with those six, which we'll run through again, Carson, Allen, Jimenez, Rodriguez, Hogan, Rod, and Blair. I think those six will make up, you know, obviously two thirds of the Michigan lineup. I would bet on those six being in the lineup almost every day. The question then becomes, where do the other three spots come from? You've got a hole at either DP or first base, a hole at third base, and you've got a hole somewhere in the outfield. Um, and there's no shortage of options of the players we've seen uh, over the years that, that could fill those spots. We mentioned Thais. Um, Taylor Bump is another one we've seen some of. Um, you know, Taylor Bump's career has been, you know, up and down. And she's had some moments. She had two home runs last year. And I remember one of them went very far. I mean, she's very tall, has the frame to be a power hitter, hit a ton of home runs in high school. So she's got the talent. Um, You know, the problem has been hitting for contact and she's never hit above 200, uh, 207 in her uh, her two and a half years at Michigan. Um, I was encouraged that she actually had more walks than strikeouts last year, which was a big departure from, sort of the past free swinging ways, but still struggled to actually hit the ball. And that's going to be something to watch. 
if she can put it all together, there will be a spot for her in the lineup. Uh, we just simply have not seen it up to this point, but I, I know Hutch will give her one more shot to try and prove herself. And if she can, she'll play at either of the corner infield positions. Yeah, I, I couldn't put it, couldn't put it better myself. She's a veteran in this lineup. And like you said, Hutch trusts her Hutch trusts her. If she can put it all together, she could kind of be the X factor for this Michigan team. Yeah. And, and we've said that for a few years now, and it's, it's still true today. Uh, the other option that I, one I'm pretty bullish on is Lauren Essman, who only got 21 at bats last year. So it's an extremely small sample size, but she was hitting 238, uh, 333 on base in those 21 at bats, five hits, one of which was a huge grand slam home run against Louisville in the second weekend. And um, you know, had a good high school career in Kalamazoo as a good in-state player. And, um, you know, I, I think the fact that she was able to get some at-bats last year where other freshmen didn't speaks to, you know, uh, Hutch being comfortable with her or perhaps her being college ready. And in a, in a year where you've got so many players she's competing against who have never really hit at all at the collegiate level, the fact that she has just that little bit of experience makes me think she's got a small leg up and I liked what I saw from her uh, last year. Yeah, I, I mean, I did as well. It's when it comes down to filling that last outfield spot, she's where my eyes go. You said, like you said, she only had 21 at bats, but I mean, Thais Gonzalez only had 28, you know, yeah. giving her that many in as short of a season as it was, obviously Hutch has trust in her and she capitalized when she could. I mean, no matter who you are, Grand Slam is impressive, especially a freshman. Yeah, and, and I remember the, the fall game I did back in uh, October 2019 with Lucas Vargas at Alumni. Uh, Esman almost hit a home run. I think it was a double or a triple that fell just short of the wall, but she's got that power. So, again, in a lineup that's going to need some power, I think she's a good, a good guess. The rest of the names are people who we just don't know much about because uh, Lexi Voss has two career at-bats. Audrey LeClaire has zero. And then you've got uh, a bunch of freshman options as well. So this is kind of the uncharted territory. Also, Jessica Garman as well had uh, didn't have any at-bats last year as, and now as a sophomore. So running through those names briefly, um, Voss was, was billed as a power hitter from the Chicago area uh, coming in last year. Again, only got two at-bats, so we didn't get to see much. But, um, you know, seen as a power outfielder. Audrey LeClaire was seen more as kind of a Lexi Blair type in, in a, you know, a slap hitter, speed, defense, that kind of thing, but was also a very, very highly touted recruit from the Arizona, uh, in the state of Arizona. And then Jessica Garman was kind of the, the depth catcher they took. Um, and then out of the freshmen, uh, they didn't take a ton of freshmen, at least that were highly touted this year, but they did take two. Uh, Kiki Thole, uh, who is a catcher and an infielder, um, Build as, as a pretty good player, also from the Chicago area, if I remember correctly, with some power. Uh, the niece of Michigan assistant coach Bonnie Thole, so she's got some connections to the program. And then Riley Kara Kaburu is, I believe, how it's pronounced. At least that's me eyeballing it and, and spelling it out, but it's one heck of a last name. Um, and she was a very highly touted recruit, similar profile to Thole. Power hitter, can hit for average, good high school record, highly touted. So both of those players could step in. Um, and then lastly, you have Sierra Kirsten um, and uh, uh, Kaylee Rodriguez, 
who uh, Rodriguez was taken later in the cycle. So we don't actually know anything about her. She was not included in the initial recruiting profile write-up, which is really all the information we have. Uh, whereas Kirsten, Kirsten was is from Clarkston, Michigan, kind of in that Jessica Garman mold where Michigan likes to take one player from the area who's not as highly touted, but they like some of the skills profiles. Um, so I think of all of those names, you know, I would look to LeClaire and Voss simply because they're sophomores as, as options. Um, you know, maybe you could move Lauren Esmond to the infield and you could fit one of them in the outfield. Or uh, I would then obviously look to Thole and, and Kara Kaburu since they are the more highly touted freshmen. And, you know, it seems like one freshman plays every year kind of right away. Um, where last year it was Jimenez, the year before that it was Lexi. Um, and so, you know, maybe you can hope that, that one of those two uh, play. And, you know, again, it's tough to tape this podcast right now because going to media day will give us some insights tomorrow, but uh, our scheduling, we wanted to get this recorded so we could get it to all of you before the first games. So it's kind of a stab in the dark right now, but, you know, going off the recruiting profiles, Michigan isn't at a shortage of, of talent. It's just a matter of who shows up and it's really hard for us to know because we haven't been, you know, at the practices. Yeah, and I think one thing that might play to Michigan's advantage in this case is that super loaded schedule early on, not really necessarily um, highly competitive games, but the fact that there's so many games, like opening weekend, I'm looking at six games. So obviously uh, the freshmen are kind of going to get rotations. Obviously Hutch is a smart coach. She's going to put people where they're going to succeed. And this opening weekend, I think at least, provides a really good opportunity for these freshmen to in the playing time they get in the, in their innings to come out there and show the team what they got. Yeah. And I, and I think it will definitely be interesting to, to see who gets in the lineup and how much they rotate, who gets uh, you know, gets the looks. And, you know, again, this is a thing where you'd love to be inside the program and have an idea of, of who is standing out in practice and who isn't or what injuries are, have happened. I mean, obviously it was a, uh, two consecutive years, we were told Lou Allen had an injury last year. We found out Sarah Schaefer had an injury. I mean, there's probably someone who's injured. We just don't know who it is. And so that's the tough part doing what we do with no preseason games and no exhibition games. I mean, you know, the last couple of years, at least we got to go to the fall game and get a sense of, of that. Um, this year we're going off as little info as possible. And uh, it's also worth noting that Michigan has, you know, in total, you count up all of the players who are hitters. And, you know, they've got 16 hitters and in total, you know, we see just six of those as everyday players. And then you've got, you know, even beyond that, so many of them, the, the four freshmen plus LeClaire, Voss, Garmin and Esman. I mean, that right there is seven players who have very few career at bats. And even, you know, we saw Julia Menes, but she only got about 80 at bats. So altogether, you're talking half the hitters on this team have less than a third of a season of college experience. So this is a very young and inexperienced team as is every team uh, in college softball because of how everyone went through this together. So I think across the board, there will be a lot of shifting, a lot of trial and error and Michigan should be no exception to that. Yeah, I agree. Um, Just kind of one theme and whatever Julia Jimenez, she did only have, you know, a third of a season, but the third of a season that she got was some quality, quality softball. Like there was just so many games against really good ranked teams. She saw 
some of the best pitching she'll probably ever face um, in Megan Faramo. And just looking through, I mean, a ranked UCF team, a ranked UCLA team, Washington, Texas, Texas Tech, like the list just goes on and on of high quality teams. So even though she did only get, you know, whatever it was, 80 something at bats, they were really high quality every time. Yeah. And that is a good point. So, you know, that's the roster. I think they will be strong in the pitching staff. I think they'll have some consistent hitters. It's just a matter of, as it is every year, uh, pretty much since the Sierras left back in 2016, you know, who's going to step up in the big moments, who's going to get the big at bats uh, and, you know, who is going to hit the ball for power. Um, There aren't, there's nobody in this lineup who profiles as a 20 home run hitter, at least that we have seen yet. I mean, it could happen for Lou Allen or somebody, but um, you know, where does the power come from and can they get those consistent RBIs when the season's on the line? That's, that's the questions I have, but it's a talented roster as it always is. Uh, Carol Hutchins is a great recruiter and they've cobbled together a team with a lot of players. So um, that's the team. Now we will move into the next segment, which we'll be looking at the schedule um, and sort of the big 10. And then we'll finish by looking specifically at this coming weekend. Um, the, the schedule, as most fans know, is going to be unfortunately a uh, all Big Ten schedule, which has its upsides and its downsides. It was a 44-game schedule. The upside is Michigan is going to get to play every team, which uh, traditionally did not happen. Traditionally, Michigan only played about half the conference. Uh, this year, they'll get to play everybody. Downside is we don't get that that experience that you get normally against the Floridas and the Washingtons who, as most you know, fans know, those are the powerhouses of college softball. That said two years ago, it was one of the best years for the big 10 in history where they had three teams, Michigan, Northwestern, and Minnesota all host regionals. And two of them made the supers and Minnesota made the women's college world series. So this was a very good conference a few years ago, at least for big 10 standards. Um, It's just not super deep, and that's one of the things to talk about. But 44 games and the first two weekends, this coming one in late February, and then the second weekend in March are being played in Leesburg, Florida. Uh, And then Michigan will return to the Midwest, and they'll be doing home and away series, four-game sets with various opponents. The home series are Rutgers, Northwestern, Maryland, Uh, and MSU. The road series are Indiana, OSU, Penn State, and Minnesota. Um, Anything in particular stand out to you just when we talk about a Big Ten-only schedule uh, and the the composition of the schedule? Yeah, I mean, looking at it, in one sense, we kind of drew the short straw on that Minnesota side. You know, probably one of the better teams they're going to face all year to have to play four games against them in Minneapolis is – kind of unfortunate but also like we've mentioned it's kind of hard to tell because that was you know two years ago there's been a lot of overturn no team is really the same that they were um but just looking at the schedule I mean in any sport it's hard to beat somebody twice it's hard to beat somebody twice in a row for sure it doesn't matter who you are it doesn't matter what sport you're playing and looking at you know these kind of blocks of games where you play a team four times over the course of a weekend it's going to be really interesting to see because, you know, sometimes say you lose a, like, say we lose a tough one to MSU in a normal season, if those games are a little bit farther apart, you can kind of, you know, plan for 
for, you know, what your game plan is going to be. And it's tougher with a real quick overturn like that. Yeah, it, it will definitely be condensed. The teams will get to know each other very well. Uh, one other thing to mention that I forgot to mention in the overview is that there's no Big Ten tournament this year. Uh, the Big Ten tournament has been canceled. Uh, the auto bid for the league into the NCAAs will go to the regular season champion. Michigan, of course, is the multi-time, two-time defending uh, conference regular season champion in 2018 and 2019. So looking to make it three in a row uh, this season. But the standings will be, you know, important to watch as a result. You won't have that jostling for the, the Big Ten tournament. And in some ways, it's nice because two years ago, Michigan didn't play Northwestern or Minnesota in the regular season and then kind of went into the tournament, the conference tournament saying, OK, now this is when we're going to actually get to face them. This time you'll get to know them very well uh, over four games uh, each during during the season. So. Um, you know, those are the storylines with the schedule. As for the, the conference itself, I think if we go through some of the top teams, we've talked about Northwestern and Minnesota quite a bit because they were very good two years ago. No guarantee that they are very good again this year, uh, but they probably will be. Um, they've had some turnover just in my notes. Uh, McKenna Partain and Natalie Den Hartog are back for the Gophers, as is Amber Pfizer. Um some of the other players have shuffled out uh, some change over in the circle a little bit. Sydney Smith is gone, but Autumn Peace, who was there in the brief season last year, will be back. Um, Minnesota has been very competitive nationally in the last few years, so I think they'll be pretty good. Northwestern was one of the youngest teams in the conference two years ago, um, and as a result, most of their lineup is back, including Danielle Williams, who was their ace two years ago. Um, so I think both those teams will be good. Probably the biggest competition. Um, you also had Wisconsin and Ohio State two years ago. Ohio State's pretty much totally different than they were uh, two years ago, so it's tough to read in what to expect there. Wisconsin was ranked last season, but they lost Kayla Conwent, who was the Big Ten Player of the Year in 2019. Um, and really, those five teams, Michigan plus Wisconsin, OSU, Minnesota, Northwestern, were really the only teams that were even close to the tournament two years ago. So as a result, there's going to be a lot of weekends this year where you're not playing a very good team, most likely uh, a team that had a pretty bad record two years ago. But as we mentioned, they may be good now. And, and that's what's so tough here. It's really hard to do scouting. Uh, and every team is looking at, at, at rosters that are, you know, half the team are players who've never really played. So it really adds some uncertainty and a lot of intrigue, I think, in my mind. Yeah, it's, it's a very good point, like you said. Um, another thing that I was just kind of thinking of, um, like you said, a lot of teams have a lot of players that haven't played before. And, you know, in a regular season, it's kind of nice to be able to take your freshmen who haven't gotten at bats or whatever and kind of hide them in your lineup, for lack of a better term, kind of just sprinkle them in every once in a while. But in these games or in these series, rather, that are just so close and so quick the turnaround you're not going to be able to really do that because teams are going to be or teams are going to recognize that they're going to recognize a weak link and try to take advantage of you whether it's on the mound whether it's in the field or at the plate yeah for sure and um you know watching these teams feel each other out uh, definitely will be interesting and with everyone playing together in leesburg uh, i think michigan will get to watch some of those other games i mean obviously games will be going on all day long um 
I mean, just looking at some of these game times this coming weekend, it's mostly in the mornings, uh, 10, 20, uh, two games, 1250 for two games, then 9am Sunday morning and 1130am on Sunday. And then the next weekend, you know, you've got games at 7pm against Nebraska. So there, there will be games going on all through the day where all the different big 10 teams will be scrimmaging right, you know, right in front of all the other teams. And so watching the way that that Michigan is able to gauge the opponents and, and the game opponents will be able to gauge Michigan will be interesting. I think one other note that will make our lives harder as analysts is, you know, really knowing where Michigan or any of these big 10 teams stack up nationally, because you normally use those first weekends to, to measure Michigan against UCLA or Florida or Washington. Now we won't get to do that. And so we really will have no idea how good any of the big 10 teams are until they show up in the NCAAs. And, you know, it could all be a ruse and the big 10 might've been terrible and right. And they get blasted right away or they're, you know, better than we thought. I mean, it's really hard to know that right now. So um, that'll be interesting to watch. And I also think, you know, a lot of these weekends will be opportunities for Michigan to, to gain wins uh, when they won the regular season crown two years ago. Uh, I think Michigan was 21 and one or 22 and one in the conference. And their one loss was a walk-off against Ohio state. I mean, they were very close to going undefeated partially because they didn't play Minnesota and Northwestern in the regular season, but that's kind of a taste of what a good team does against the big 10 when they're not playing the big dogs. So it would not be shocking to see Michigan go 39 and five. And yet we would really have no idea how good they are nationally. And that's the tough part about this because there's going to be a lot of games against teams that traditionally are not very good. Um, and it, it's just a matter of, of getting it done. And, and this is a season also where consistency matters, where you can't afford to drop games to teams that are not very good because the regular season is really all that counts. You don't get a conference tournament to save you. So a lot of stress on each game on a game to game basis. Yeah, I completely agree that uh, what you said about, you know, early season matchups kind of tell you where you stack up. I feel like even though they only played 23 total games last season, um, we got a really, really good picture of what kind of team this Michigan team was. I mean, even just looking at the last week of their schedule before everything got shut down, uh, I'm looking at five games against ranked teams. Three of those five were the numbers one, two, and three teams in the country at the time. It's going to be really interesting because like you said, Maybe it is all just a ruse and the Big Ten sucks and whatever, but uh, you, you made a lot of really good points. Like if Michigan is going to come out of this, you know, strictly Big Ten schedule, they're going to need to put together a season where they go, you know, 39 and five or 40 and four or that kind of thing. Yeah. And Michigan, for the record, is 17th in the, in the poll right now. Um, a, a number of teams have started. Washington's played five games. Oklahoma's played four games. Um, actually more than that. Now this was, I think this was poll from February 16th. So a week ago, um, but Michigan was 17th in last week's poll. Uh, Minnesota was 25th and Northwestern was just outside the top 25. Uh, no other big 10 teams were receiving votes. So again, this is a conference where Michigan's should be racking up wins uh, a lot of weekends, except for, for those big weeks where everything's on the line. Um, this first weekend, probably not that, uh, the teams they're facing are uh, Purdue for two games on Friday, Iowa for two games on Saturday, and Illinois for two games on Sunday. Uh, 
just looking at their records too from two years ago, which again feels like a long time ago and probably is, uh, but just as a baseline, Purdue has generally not been a great softball program in the past. They were six and 17 in the conference two years ago. And I don't believe Michigan played them two years ago. They did bring them to alumni three years ago and, and really gave it to them. Uh, I would expect probably something in that ballpark again, Iowa uh, was five and 18 uh, a couple years ago. They had an ACE three years ago. I don't remember the name off the top of my head, but she beat Michigan for one game in Iowa city uh, in 2018. They definitely fell off uh, in 2019 and now turned the page quite a bit. Um, and then Illinois is the last team. They were nine and 14 in the big 10 uh, in 2019. They actually played Michigan in the big 10 tournament. That was Alexi Blair walk-off home run gave Michigan a run for their money. So if two years ago was any indication, Illinois is the team to watch out for the most. Unfortunately, two years ago, isn't much of an indication. So these aren't big time programs. Michigan should go six and oh, but it's hard to really know. And it's hard to know which team will be best. It's hard to know which players will be great, uh, at least in the early going. Um, but uh, what are you looking for in particular uh, in this coming weekend? Uh, like you said, none of these teams are historically great. Um, obviously, it's tough to start any season. Um, like last year, we saw them get off to a really hot start. And that was a good sign for this team coming into this weekend. You're going to need to just dominate. You're going to uh, kind of bank on your Lexi Blairs, your Haley Holden Rods, your veterans in this lineup to kind of carry your team through the opening weekend. It's going to be tough because, you know, like we said, the games are all stacked up and you're going to be looking to fill spots and you're going to need to rely on your veterans who you know are just rocks in your lineup and rocks defensively to keep your team from, you know, stumbling through these first couple of weeks. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, that will definitely be a uh, something to watch. Uh, in the this first weekend. Uh, another thing to note, we will not be covering this coming weekend. Uh, you know, it's down in Florida. We were told that we may have had the ability to do so, but there was going to be a lot of hoops to jump through. And um, the schedule was rolled out with such short notice that ultimately it was not really feasible. Good news is, according to Leah Howard, the sports information director for the softball team uh the btn plus will have a stream uh of every game down in leesburg the first two weekends so we all can watch those games if you pay the 10 bucks for the monthly subscription which i imagine a lot of diehard softball fans already have a subscription to begin with um so i will definitely be following along and i believe there will be live stats for both games or uh, for all the games as well so we'll have quite a bit of information to talk about next weekend um or uh, you know for next week's episode a lot more than we had obviously for this week um but i'm excited a new season underway uh we'll get it you know not a great sense of the team yet next week but we'll have a lot of stuff to talk about different storylines early impressions and all of that stuff so uh any last thoughts here for this episode it's going to be really fun to watch this opening weekend uh i had really high hopes for that michigan team at the end of last season um, I had really high hopes for the people I saw, and a lot of them are back on the scene. Um, it's going to be fun to see if they can carry that through. Like we said, Julia Jimenez was one of my favorite players to watch last season. Her um, small sample size of at-bats, she looked really good at you know coming back into the first time we really see her in Big Ten play. It's going to be interesting to see what she can do, um, given what she did against the top teams in the country. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so that does it for this week's episode of East of the Rockies. Uh, we will be back uh, next week with some insights from Media Day as well as hopefully six softball games to talk about, plenty of stats, other storylines, and all other Big Ten play uh, to talk about. So that does it for this week's episode. For Charlie Brigham and Alex Drain, we'll leave you with a good night and go blue, and we'll see you next week.